Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by Eben Britton. Eben Britton is a former NFL offensive lineman and was the subject of a bit of a scandal when he wrote an article entitled What It Takes to Stay in the NFL, uh, which led to an appearance on a Netflix documentary called Take Your Pills, which is about prescription drug use and, and addiction. And in addition to his uh, outspoken proponents of cannabis use, especially for athletes, he's also an advocate and he's also the co-host of Hot Boxing, a really amazing podcast with Mike Tyson. And I came across Eben's content on social media quite a while ago, and he is really consistent. He's He's the kind of guy that lives what he speaks about, and he is a truth teller. He's a truth teller in the most genuine sense of the word, a fascinating guy, and he's got a lot of opinions about how we treat ourselves, how we treat each other, uh, what sort of institutions are really governing our life, and that applies in his world from things like the NFL um, to the government, and he's a really independent thinker. And we had a really, really, really good conversation. This is sort of like a, you know, two guys hanging out, uh, spitballing, having a conversation. Uh, the first part of the, the first, you know, almost half of the episode kind of tells his story as he, as he tells it. And then after that, we get into the implications of um, the global pandemic that we're in. We talk about the importance of putting in your self-work to be prepared for hard times. We talk about the work of psychedelics and what it shows yourself. We talk about the power of cannabis for the brain and the body. We talk about fear mechanisms around death and around this virus. And we also talk about the serious problem about what it about when, when we're told that we can't touch each other, what sort of impact that has on our collective psyche. Um, really, really awesome. You know, asking this question, how deep are you willing to take ownership of your life? Really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm really excited to bring it to you because these sorts of conversations aren't going to be found in mainstream media, and they're increasingly being uh, filtered and censored on YouTube, and we just had a conversation, and that's what this is, and we want to include you in this conversation. Uh, you can find Eben on Instagram at edsbritton with two Ts. You can go to ebenbritton.com. You can go to Athletes for Care, which is his can, which is the cannabis advocacy group that he works with. And also, if you haven't listened to Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson and Evan Britton, man, you got to go check it out. It's super awesome podcast. Really good. Really, really deep content. It's funny. It's compelling and really takes a really great look at uh, sports and pop culture. Uh, love it. Um, I'm just going to say thank you again for listening. I'm going to keep thanking you, you sons of guns, because you, you listen every week, and I really appreciate that. And this is a wacky time to be putting out content, and uh, there is a lot of it, and a lot of us are consuming a lot of it. 
And so it's my intention, again, every single solitary week and sometimes two a week to bring you really powerful podcasts that will help open up your mind. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Eben Britton. And I'm here with Eben Britton, who's the host of Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson. He's a writer, philosopher. And if you do not follow him on Instagram yet, please do yourself a favor. Eben, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Hey, my brother. Thanks for having me. So I came across your friend and mine, Harold Turk, who was on the podcast a um, couple of months ago, and he's a Maori, a Maori body worker. And yeah. I heard his name from you, from following you on social media, and oh. then hooked up with him and was like, dude, I love what you're doing. This looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so I just wanted to say thank you for sharing your story and sharing your network and, and telling people about the healers that are available to us because now is the time for great healing. And so I just wanted to start by showing gratitude for, um, for you speaking your truth because it is really refreshing. Thanks brother. <laughs> I didn't know that's how you got connected to Harold. Yeah. Yeah. Harold has been, um, you know, super beneficial for me and my healing journey since coming out of football. And, you know, I think that that work in particular is really tapped into a truth that I learned through my career in football and brutalizing my body, you know, and what I came to and, and the knowledge I've sort of accumulated. It really resonates in Harold's work. And, you know, we could get into that uh, overarching idea more, but uh, Harold is the real deal for sure. Yeah. Yeah. His, his approach, um, <clears throat> the way that he thinks about linking the body with, uh, emotions and doing work at processing, we have, we have, so we have these bodies and they, yeah. they get traumatized one way or another. Yeah. They get, they get beat up, they get neglected, they get overfed or underfed or, you know, underused yeah. or overused. And yeah. So, well, that yeah, that's cool. I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you now know how how I found Harold. That's dope, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think. I mean, just you know, this is one of my things that you know is becoming. I'm really being confronted with in this you know coronavirus time. Is you know we've been so indoctrinated with this idea that everything is so compartmentalized. You know, there's our body over here, there's our mind over here, there's our thoughts over here, food doesn't matter, you know, what you put in your body doesn't matter because there's a pill to take care of it, there's a shot to take care of it, go on living however the fuck you want to live, don't worry about it, the medical establishment will have an answer for you, whether it's a pill or a shot or a drug, etc. at the end of the day. You know, and it's just so, it, it's such a, it's such a false uh, paradigm, you know, of thought that we've been coaxed into over the years, you know, um, and it's just, you know, if you, you know, as you begin to, because we all deal with trauma, 
you know, and we all deal with pain in our lives. We all have obstacles to overcome, inner and external. And if you think that, you know, this body is separate from your childhood traumas, you're fucking, you've got another thing coming, you know, because all that shit, it's just trapped in here. Yeah. We're just moving vessels of our life, <laughs> you know. It's like everything that happens to us, good and bad, gets stored in these tissues. That's what this body is, you know. And the deeper you go into yourself and into uh, sort of letting go of the materiality that we live in, the shedding of that skin, you know, the constant sort of disillusion, the dissolving of, you know, your ideas about how the world functions, you come to this realization that like even because quantum physics has all has proven all of this stuff that you know it's infinite and this body is just a manifestation of everything else just mm -hmm. like everything else you know and so again it's all connected everything matters yeah. literally everything matters yeah. you know so anyway, man, I didn't want, I don't want to go too deep right off the bat, but <laughs> we just did, man. I'm pretty fucking, you know, I'm just this, uh, this is such a, a strange time. You know, people are so, I think that people are so asleep that they don't even realize they've stepped into a science fiction movie Yeah, where our government is literally looking at mandating what we can and can't do. And medicine is really the ultimate tool of control, isn't it? Yeah. You know, because we have such a fear of death. Yeah. We fail to recognize in this, you know, in our very primitive spiritual culture that we've created around ourselves, we have refused to accept death as a natural part of the life process. You know, and... Uh, that's really what guides a lot of this shit. Because everyone's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to get sick and I'm going to die. Well, what if you step back for a second and you look at how many people are dying on a daily basis anyway from everything else that life has to offer? You know? Yeah. That level of awareness to cut through, you know, and, and I've, I've demonized culture in the past, but culture, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Terrence McKenna fan and Terrence, you know, one of my favorite Terrence McKenna quotes is culture is not your friend. And I, <laughs> and when I, when I first heard that, I was like, oh man, like, well, but, but I like shoes. Mm -hmm. I like sports. Like, is that, is that, okay I can, I can it's okay to like shoes it's okay it's okay to like sports but it isn't my friend it isn't it isn't here to take care of me it isn't here to connect with me on a, on a deeper level uh i want to back up a little bit yeah uh, because your your journey from a career in the nfl to you know the first time the first you know I, I didn't follow your nfl career but i did see uh take your pills um yeah the the netflix documentary which kind of like blew my mind and then you know i i kind of kind of watched you kind of pop up here and there and 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 continuously and incessantly share your story tell your truth speak your truth and so i'm a little curious as to how you 
how you got into a place in which you 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 transitioned your life from one one lane into infinite number of other lanes mm. i'm wondering when when that moment kind of came for you as a as a i mean as the host of hotboxing as an advocate for cannabis as a as a sharer of of uh the toad like uh, how how did that journey unfold for you because i think a lot of us want to travel a similar journey hmm. um well from the time i was a little kid i have this internal knowing it's like a blueprint of sort of understanding and you can call it a, a guiding light uh, a gravity um just an ultimate sense of things sense of myself sense of what i'm supposed to do who i am where i'm supposed to be and you know, my childhood was deeply affected by my parents' divorce, my mother's alcoholism, my father's untreated depression and anxiety, and not having a ton of stability in that childhood. And then one day, but like still always knowing that I had something to offer and I had something to contribute to the world, to share with the world. And somewhere along the line, I remember I was very little. I was at my grandparents' house in, in um, Connecticut and I'm watching the TV in this, during the summer and it's the Jets and the Giants training camp. And I remember seeing that and just falling in love with the vision of becoming one of these armored heroes, one of these warriors. You know, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And funny enough, my mother would never let me play until I was in my freshman year of high school. Finally, she let me play football. She was like, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. And then finally, I helped, had my dad help me convince her to let me play. And, you know, literally, as soon as I stepped on the field, you know, all the coaches were like, if this dude works, if you work hard enough, telling my parents, if this kid works hard enough, he could play on Sundays. You know, he'll be buying you a house in 10 years. Um, and so football became this like savior. I was so angry and pissed off. And, you know, because of sort of the, the environment that I had come up in, you know, alcoholism, depression, uh, you know, there was, I grew up in really a family of men, but there was a lot of like that masculine bullying and pushing and constantly just being fucking tested, you know? And I felt like, you know, and football became this vessel to help me prove to the world how fucking big and badass I was and how tough I was. And you know, so in high school, started getting all the scholarship offers. So the dream perpetuated itself, you know. But that being said, like, from the time I was 13, 
everything I did, you talk about manifestation and visualization, everything I did in my mind's eye was about making it, seeing myself getting drafted to play in the NFL. How I ate, how I trained, you know, how I watched film, how I studied the game, etc. Like, I was just absorbed in it, you know, and it turned me into the greatest player I could possibly be, you know. And then I made it to the NFL and I reached the top of this mountain that I've been climbing for so long. And I was like, fuck, is this it? You know, this is it. Here I am. I'm, I don't feel whole. I haven't, I still have more to prove. I've got more to prove now. There's never enough. You know, I'm never enough. I never did enough. You know, I've got the car, I've got the house, I've got whatever I want. And I'm still miserable. I'm maybe the most miserable I've ever been in my life. You know, and through that process of being in the NFL, I fell in love. I got married. I had a daughter. Well, I'll put it back in the proper order. I fell in love, had a daughter, got married, you know, and uh, God bless my wife. She's just, you know, my guardian angel. And my daughter is just like, brings me to tears to think about, you know, what she means to me. And, um, you know, and so I had enough, six years of the NFL, man. I beat, to, beat my body to shit, back surgery, shoulder surgery. My back surgery, I came back from that my third year, was playing my ass off 10, 11 weeks into the season. I'm fucking, in, I'm paralyzed from the waist down because I've got an infection in the disc where the surgery was. So I've got to go on eight weeks of intravenous antibiotics. Fucking, you know, you talk about probably a career ender, but I ended up pushing it through and got three more years in, you know, just because I was so, it was my life, you know? And through that process, you know, also realizing, seeing the business of football, I'm always, I've always been just, I'm a loyalist. Um, you know, I want to, I, I have a lot of honor. I, you know, carry myself in a way where, you know, I had a lot of respect and love for my teammates and my coaches. Like these were my family, you know, and I came into the NFL and <clears throat> I had a solid rookie year. Going into my second year, I herniated the disc, L5-S1, really fucked me up. In the midst of that, you know, trying to, like, grind through that, because it really from, you know, it was like the end of OTAs, the, the spring practices. Um, I, you know, injured this disc. I herniated this disc. And, you know, my, my right leg was completely useless. You know, and I spent basically, you know, up until week six when, thank God, my shoulder got dislocated twice in the game against the Chiefs, where I finally my season was just over. You know, I was I it was I was in misery, you know, dealing with this injury, this back injury, sciatic pain running down my leg. I couldn't feel my foot on the ground. You know, so I missed that the second half of that season my second season coming into my third season, my back is still fucked up, but I've had the shoulder surgery to repair that, you know, in the midst of that, I'm having all sorts of experiences with, you know, my own personal reactions to opiates, you know, 
taking these opiates after surgery is where I started to learn about, you know, what these things did to you. You know, forget about the fact that, you know, just to play in a in a NFL season, 99% of the guys in the locker room are taking a daily regimen of some prescription anti-inflammatory or another every day, multiple times a day, whether, whether that's Cataflam, Indocin, Celebrex, et cetera, you name it, shit that's just tearing up your digestive system, your liver and kidneys. You know, but then I was on this regimen of opiates, you know, following my shoulder surgery. And even, you know, you're taking them after games, but that's just like to take the edge off. You know, you're given a, an envelope of pills getting on and off the plane, coming in and out of the locker room, you know. So you're just popping those like, hey, this is how I got to, I, I, I can't play unless I have this. Mm. You know, but really like experiencing the rage and the irritability, the sleeplessness, you know. At the end of the day, the painkillers don't do anything for the pain, <laughs> you know. They make you, they put you in a worse situation than you were in before you took them, you know. And so I was like, fuck that, I'm just going to smoke weed. Hell yeah. <laughs> because intuitively it just... And that's the thing, going back to this inner knowing, it was like, intuitively, I can smoke weed. Yes, there, this is illegal, or, you know, I could be ostracized if anyone found out I did this, but I wake up the next day feeling better. Now, I trust my intuition over trusting what this outside of me is telling me I should do. Yeah. But that's just me, you know, and maybe I'm blessed because of who my parents were, or just my experience on that road, you know? I was like, I'm taking these pills. They make me feel like shit. I get a fucking migraine, you know? I'm being an asshole to the people who are taking care of me. My wife, my mother, like asshole, my brother, you know, cuss, cursing at people, you know? And that's, you know, and that's a side effect of taking things like Vicodin or, you know, uh, oxycotton etc mm -hmm. and i was just really aware of that i was like wow i am just not myself when i take this like it's a it's a hair trigger to the rage you know and with cannabis it was never like that it was like i could i actually felt better i decompressed i was able to sleep through the night etc wake up feeling better so I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And, and I followed that throughout my, really from the time, I think, you know, the first time I consumed cannabis when I was a teenager, I remember it always being a good experience. Yeah. You know, I've had really intense highs that were very scary trips, but the after effect was always very positive. Mm -hmm. Body felt good. Mind felt clear, you know. So... By the time I was in, I think by the time I got to Chicago, so I spent four years in Jacksonville. My last year in Jacksonville, you know, more of the business of football took over. I'd worked my, my ass back after that, you know, intravenous, uh, the back infection that really just should have ended my career, to be honest. But I worked my ass off, got back, was starting by the beginning of my fourth season. 
Um, and then game one, we're in Minnesota. I get a guy thrown into my left ankle. It's a low high ankle sprain. Really bad, can barely put pressure on it. I miss like the next four games, come back way too early, still couldn't even move to my right because my left foot was so destroyed. But they rush me back, you know, they're like, Eb, you should be back, you should be ready, you know. And I, all week I'm saying, guys, I'm not ready, I can't move. Go into the game against one of the best pass rushers in the league, this guy, Geno Atkins, I'm playing left guard, get my fucking ass kicked. I get benched at halftime. You know, and that was really like the final betrayal for me, <laughs> you know, and they never really explained to me why, you know, they, they never acknowledged that I was injured the whole year, you know, and they rushed me back and I felt betrayed, you know, I felt totally like the entire idea of what I believed in for so long was just it meant nothing, it meant mm. nothing to them because this is a business to them, you know? And so, you know, that was supposed to be a year where I was working for a new contract. And uh, by the end of it, really, I was like, I, I think I'm done with football. I'm done playing. You know, I talked to my wife. She's like, hey, whatever you want to do, that's cool with me. I'm on mm. your team, you know, mm. no matter what you want to do. I talked to my, you know, I talked to my dad. I talked to some some of my teammates, some of the older guys, Brad Meester, who's like a 10 year veteran center. One of my favorite, one of my great mentors during my time in the NFL. And he was like, Hey man, look, I totally get it, dude. Trust me every year. I'm like, I'm not coming back, <laughs> you know, but he's like, maybe you sign with a new team. Maybe you find you love it again. You know, maybe you find your love for the sport again, somewhere else, you know, but, and then you, at least you, you gave it a shot, you know, and you can say definitively, I'm done, or let's keep it going, you know. So um, I did. I gave it a shot. I went into free agency. I had a couple of workouts. I ended up with the Bears. That first year in Chicago was pretty magical. Um, you know, I fell in love with the game again. I realized I became like the sixth O-lineman, swing tackle, and then I was also playing monster tight end so i'd come in like 20 to 30 snaps a game at tight end which was really fun and they wrote that yeah, by the end of the year they wrote this whole article about how much more productive the offense was when i was in there than uh when i wasn't which was pretty cool and uh so coming out of that year i was sort of sucked back into this idea of you know what it was and um you know, I was going into free agency again, and I thought that maybe I'd get a solid deal coming out of that. Didn't really. Ended up signing back for one more year with Chicago, and that year was really the year that showed me, you know what, you're done. I'm done. <laughs> you know, this was plenty. I tore my hamstring, like, second day of pads and training camp. Ended up getting cut after the last preseason game which devastated me because I loved this co this group of coaches. And again, I had fallen into the trap of football as a family, you know, in the NFL it is until it's business. You sure. know? Um, and so, you know, I, 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 they actually signed me back after week one. It was sort of some sort of vindication for me when, you know, three of my buddies went down in the first half 
uh, against the Bills of game one, and the GM is on the phone with me <laughs> saying, Eb, we need you back. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, so I come back. But that year was, you know, it was really the year of, like, this is the end, you know. My appendix exploded Jesus. During, the, during the bye week. I actually, my wife, daughter, and I flew from Chicago back to L.A. because they were retiring my jersey at my high school. And I'm like double dose. I've got this like, I'm starting to feel sick. Like I'm feeling sick, like kind of throughout the day. It was Halloween day. And they're doing this ceremony for me. And there's a game afterwards. And I'm like feeling just weird. Like I've got kind of like cold sweats going. Like I feel like I've got, you know, I kind of feel like I have to shit, but I can't. And there's kind of a pain in my side. And it's, it got progressively worse. And by the end, I had to leave the game because I was doubled over, just like throwing up. Jeez. And we were staying at this Airbnb in LA. And uh, it was my, my whole family was there, you know, and I couldn't be a part of it. And I refused to go to the emergency room for like two days. Jeez. <laughs> and the day we're supposed to fly back, I'm like, dude, there's something seriously wrong. I'm not just sick. Like, there's something wrong with me. And uh, so we go to the emergency room, like, the morning we're supposed to fly back, of course. That's a lesson to all y'all out there. If, you're, <laughs> if, you, if something is telling you something's not right, something's definitely not right, you know. So go to the emergency room, have to have emergency an emergency appendectomy. I end up spending five days in the hospital in LA, miss that week of practice, have to call up everybody and tell them what happened. I fly back, I've lost like 25 pounds. Whoa. And then I finished out the, the rest of that season, tested positive for Ritalin, which is what Take Your Pills talks about. Right. Um, you know, I took Ritalin on a day when I didn't have my Adderall prescription and I thought, hey, it treats the same thing. Mm. They both treat ADHD. I had a therapeutic use exemption to take Adderall for my ADHD, which was all through the team, et cetera. But I, so I took a Ritalin thinking it was probably the same. And if I even did test positive, then I'd have a good argument. You know, by the end of the season, I get a letter that I failed a drug test for Ritalin. You know, I go into the thing and they slap me with a four game suspension anyway. And, uh, you know, I took it as a sign from the universe that, hey, man, you know, you can be done if you want to. Yeah. And then it was time to, then it was time to decide what came next. Then it was, yeah. it was time yeah. to, to figure out what, what you wanted to, what you wanted to be, who you wanted to be, what you wanted to do. Yeah. And so, you know, God bless my wife. She's an attorney. She was, she had just taken the California bar past it so I thought let's head back to California let's set up shop there who knows at the time I hadn't even really put football you know taking football off the table yet um but you know the four game suspension made it sort of difficult to see like what that would look like even mm -hmm. though a couple months later I was getting calls from all these different teams we were living at my in-laws house in Pasadena while we were looking for a house in LA 
and uh, um, you know, my wife had passed the bar, so she's figuring out like getting a job as an attorney. Um, and so, you know, I was like, I had been turned over from my football agent to a book agent to start writing a book proposal. Hmm. I had majored in creative writing at Arizona. Sometime in high school, I really fell in love with writing and the art of writing and uh, telling stories. And um, so I had this throughout my football career. The interesting thing is, and it's sort of a, a tale of forewarning for young athletes, but I even, you know, was hesitant to identify myself wholly as a football player because I had this artistic background. You know, I had this idea, well, when I'm done playing football, I'm going to be a writer. So that's sort of what I started in on. And my wife goes, Eb, you've got a fucking stack of journals that you've been writing in since, you know, your freshman year of college. You've got a book here, dude. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it was thanks to her, you know, she, she really planted the seed, like writing a book is the next step. That's the logical next step. So I worked with this book agent. Meanwhile, I'm getting calls. I'm like working on this book proposal. I start getting calls like Atlanta, Buffalo, and they want to fly me out for a workout. And I, I'm like, okay, let me think about it. And, you know, by the end of the day, this was probably sometime in April or May getting these phone calls. And I'm like, I can't bring myself to get on the airplane to fly there. Hmm. You know, I would feel like I'm wasting my time just going to the airport and getting on a plane and flying there. Hmm. You know, I, I'm done. Yeah. Totally done. You know, so I started writing this book proposal. It's a beautiful book proposal. We pitched it around. There was a lot of interested publishers, but you know, they had either filled their sports, uh, you know, title for the year, or they wanted, you know, more dirt or more of a red carpet story. You know, I'm sort of the blue collar. Or alignment story, you know, mm -hmm. like Charles Bukowski is an alignment. <laughs> yeah. nice. You know, it's it's pretty, you know, grimy and you know, in your face and violent, but it's not like, you know, anything, you know, out of the ordinary as far as what you know already about, you know, behind the scenes of the NFL. You know, I wasn't going to call anyone out, etc. But so he. So the book proposal sort of fell flat, but what it turned into was this article I wrote with um, Sports Illustrated. And it was a piece about basically my experience in the NFL dealing with injuries, prescription drug policies, my Adderall addiction, and sort of had a little bit about cannabis in there. And so it was really the beginning of the sort of truth teller mm. Uh, mode, you know, and it was really like, I don't know what else to say. You know, I'm not one of these guys who's gonna fucking who I can just fake it through my yeah. life. You know, <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't go on, you know, NBC or CBS and you know, play the fucking company man role of what this is, right? You know, when I understand the inner workings of it. And, you know, the, the article I wrote got a lot of pub. You, got, you could probably share it on a link. It's on Medium. Okay. Um, 
it was through, through the cauldron, which was like a, a, a by athletes for athletes editorial section of Sports Illustrated. And I think it's titled, what does it take to make it in the NFL? You don't want to know. I'll send you a link to it. Yeah, I'll find it. And that got a lot of attention. Uh, and it also, you know, I got phone calls from my trainers in Jacksonville saying how pissed what the off fuck? they were about What the it. fuck, Evan? Yeah. And uh, I was really like, dude, I don't, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. I did not feel like I was calling you guys out specifically. You know, I didn't mention any of their names, but yeah, you know, I was, I was to the detail truthful in the practices, you know, and what, yeah. what I experienced through that time, you know, that, so that, you know, that, that started me off. Yeah. That, that, op- the, 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 that, that sort of opened the door uh you know, have a sense that like that, that may have been like, uh, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I've wanted to tell the truth. I feel better telling the truth. I'm going to speak my truth. I'm going to be open that that is i think that's what is so admirable about where you're going and what you're doing i mean again for people listening you know just just type in uh mike tyson toad and 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 understand the level of transparency in the way that you show up in the world in your truth telling in your openness and in your honesty there needs to be more and more people that do that and, and, and for a guy like yourself, who, who lived like a whole different kind of life and, and, and has transitioned now to a host of a podcast with Mike Tyson and writes and thinks and pontificates and shares truth. It's, it's really, really, it's really, really inspiring. I'm just going to jump in really quick. Don't skip through this. Why? Because tools. That's why. Tools. I want to give you tools. I want to give you techniques. I want to expose you to the coolest stuff out there. And one of the coolest ways to protect your sleep is with blue blocking glasses. If you haven't gone to blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, and learned about these different versions of blue blocking glasses, it will blow your mind. The glasses that I think are most relevant for people right now are the glasses that protect our your eyes from blue light in the evening time when the sun goes down your body wants to sleep but if you're looking at screens watching the news in bed after the sun goes down it's really screwing with your circadian rhythm and the sleep plus glasses are the world's most advanced blue and green light blocking glasses addressing the exact frequencies of light required after dark to optimally produce melatonin for restorative sleep and health these are my favorite coolest looking blue blocking glasses, and they're crazy effective. There is a distinct difference between wearing these at night and not wearing these at night. We're all going to look at screens, so you might as well protect your eyes and protect your sleep and protect your immunity by investing in some blue blocking glasses. Go to blueblocks.com and use the code OPP for 15% off your blue blocking glasses. A lot of you have already jumped on this and already purchased them far out. I'm so happy to tell you about this, and I'm happy that the, that Blue Blocks and Andy are nice enough and believe in this podcast enough to sponsor it. So thank you for that. And now back to the episode. I I want I'm I'm curious about how you think about um 
I'm actually really curious about how you're thinking about this current paradigm that we're in with COVID. You know, the they're calling it a, a quarantine, but it's really a lockdown. How 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 do you manage mentally? Just because I'm a fan of the way that you think and the way that you share share your story. Um, how how do how can you how do you maybe maybe it's not how does everybody else keep their shit together but how do you keep your shit together in the midst of all of these global shenanigans? Well, first of all, it's not easy, <laughs> and uh, I've had some massively dark days in the last month, you know, and. Um, you know, first of all, I feel really blessed that I've put in an immense amount of work on myself over the last five years to put me in a place now where I can be a, a source or a place of stability for others, you know. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I think it's really fascinating where we are, you know, and and you know this this thing that this place that I've ended up at is the result of literally four to five years of committed daily meditation practice, um, praying, connecting with spirit, connecting with my inner self, the source of who I am, doing really deep work like with Harold you know, excavating old trauma through my physical body. Um, you know, ayahuasca ceremonies, other plant medicine ceremonies. Um, and it's, it's really been about, you know, shaving away the shit. You know, everyone wants to like intellectualize and you know tell really cool stories about you know what ayahuasca trips are and what psilocybin trips are and you know at the end of the day what these substances do is they take you back to the core of you it's all just comes back to you yeah and there's nothing outside of that you know yes it's just like who you are and what you're supposed to do here and what your life is all about. That's what it shows you, you know, and it, and it allows you to just strip away all the shit, you know, cause we're constantly like, and unless you're a person who's willing to do this type of work on yourself and do self reflection and do th and commit to therapy and go into the really ugly places of yourself that scare you and, you know, acknowledge them, confront them, make peace with them, because mm. the truth is it's never going away. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Our fear, our anger, our anxiety, it's never going to go away. We're human beings. Like, this is part of the stew that we are a part of. Right. So you might as well just become a master of it. Yeah. You know? So, you know, where I'm at right now is... And, and my journey with cannabis has sort of led along this as well, you know. So I became an advocate for cannabis. I should just throw this in there. Um, and I got invited by one of my all-time heroes, this guy Kyle Turley, who's really the tip of the spear 
you know, a lot of people want to say it's Ricky Williams because he was like the guy that sort of stood up for himself during his playing days. And Ricky deserves a ton of credit, you know, for bringing all of this to the forefront. But Kyle has really been sort of the tip of the spear in his post-football career about medicinally what cannabis can offer football players and human beings in general. Yeah. Um, so he called me up and he said, Ed, why don't, I'd like to invite you to come speak at this conference uh, on a panel of a couple other football players, tell your story about cannabis. And I said, all right. And at the time, you know, I was still pretty, hold on, let me close my door. <laughs> Quarantine light, baby. That's right, dude, that's right. Um, so, you know, at the time I was still sort of unsure. I was like, you know, <clears throat> intuitively, Cannabis always felt right, but I didn't really have an, uh, an, an understanding of what the medicine really was leading up to that. You know, I had my own personal experience, but outside of that, you know, I was super worried about anyone finding out I smoked weed, you know, or used cannabis and, call, you know, would call me a stoner, et cetera. Um, you know, I was always like a, <clears throat> I was always a team captain and a leader. So... I was very wary of my outer uh, exposure of my cannabis use. So I said, yeah, sure, man. I mean, I don't, I'll just tell my story as far as what I've experienced, you know? So I go to this conference, tell my story. I see the, you know, the, the incredible wide range of people who cannabis has uh, positively affected from, you know, car crash survivors, cancer survivors, veterans, these children with intense seizure syndromes, which I'll get back to in a second, because that's pertinent to this discussion. Um, you know, football players, traumatic brain injury survivors. And then I'm, I, to my left is Kyle Turley, and he starts reading the federal government's patent, 6,350,000 300,507, I believe, is the patent. Cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants. Right, right. And my fucking brain explodes. You know, I'm, I'm blown away. It's the first time I've ever heard that our federal government has done scientific studies and research to, and have seen scientifically have seen you know because we always want the science and we always want the data and we always want the studies in this day and age our government has it on the medicinal benefits of the fucking chemical compounds that are found in the cannabis plant these cannabinoids they actually protect our brains prior to damage and they help our brains heal after the fact mm -hmm. blows my mind you know and so I really, it lit this fire, this thirst of knowing and understanding. And so cannabis, you know, just learning the history of it and how it was made illegal through the, you know, Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 and the business interests that that was really tied to. So fast forward, so here we are. And through that experience, I met all of these families. You know, I met these women 
who were mothers of children who had these super intense neurological issues, whether it was Dravet's syndrome, which is an intense seizure syndrome, or you know other forms of just like devastating neurological incidents. You know, these children can't speak, they can't feed themselves, they can't do anything, they're in wheelchairs, you know. And all these mothers have found that cannabis oil has significantly, if not completely, erased the incidence of seizures in their children. It's been incredibly beneficial, helped their children to start to form words and to be able to speak, etc. Like amazing, fucking miraculous stuff. You know, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Figgy, the, the child who spawned Charlotte's Web, one of the most well-known, uh, you know, products on the market now. She just passed away from coronavirus, which is what they said. Right. Um, you know, she herself was taking this cannabis oil due to uh, her seizure syndrome. She had Dravet's. So I'm meeting all these mothers. And I'm, you know, I'm getting to know them. And every one of these mothers says that the issue started right after a vaccine. Hmm. Now, you know, you're a parent, I'm a parent. You know, you, you, you're sort of like, like, okay. Uh, you know, and you start to talk to them and, and there's no doubt in their mind, you know, what caused this. They went to the doctor, got a vaccine immediately, if not, you know, within a three to three to 12 hour period, the child started to decline into some sort of state that was alien to who that child was prior to that vaccine. So there's that, you know, so there's that experience that I've seen with my own eyes. There was also a child when I was with the Jaguars. This, this was like a kid that uh, my teammate, Brad Meester, had sort of brought his family in uh, because their son had, you know, gone down this rabbit hole. I don't know what exactly they call it, but it's a severe neurological event, you know, where they're paralyzed, you know. So combining that with my experience my own personal experience with pharmaceuticals learning the operations of our medical establishment and the pharmaceutical system you know this is a business you know pharmaceutical reps come into a doctor's office they say hey brother we've got these great pills we've got these great medicines for you to offer your patients when they come in with x y and z here they are. The more you sell, the more you give away, we'll fly you to the fucking Caribbean at the end of the year. Yeah. And so there's this paradigm. And, you know, you know there's, this, there's this blind faith. You know, I'm sort of starting to go off a little bit on a tangent, but what I want to say is that there's a blind faith in our medical system because no one who argues that vaccinations are uh, an overwhelmingly good thing can point to actual evidence of that. Yeah. You're going on the blind faith that your doctor said it was good and necessary 
And if you don't get it, your child's going to die. And you're not really going off of any of your own personal research, you know. And so, you know, you watch our mainstream media and you watch this thing. And I'm, you know, I'm a man of the people, you know, at the end of the day. I have no interest outside serving the greatest good of this yeah. thing called humanity, you know. And, um, you know, you watch the media and you watch the rhetoric and you see what's being talked about and what's being said. And then you go back and you look at the numbers. You know, you look at the amount of people affected. You look at the number of deaths. And then you compare that to, say, the regular flu, for instance. Still not bad. You know, the yearly flu, just basic influenza, kills somewhere between 60 and 100,000 people a year. Right now, we're looking at 45,000 deaths with coronavirus, I think is the latest number. And all of these deaths, by the way, and look, you know, there's nothing, I, I mean, it's devastating, obviously. Death is devastating, and we've been, you know, and it kind of goes back to this thing that I've been, that's really become clear to me, you know, is our aversion to death. You know, and our refusal to accept that death is a natural part of the life process. You know, and it's a it's a testament to our materiality that we live in. You know, um, and I just think that it's very important. We're in a time that's it's a it's crucially important for people to be skeptical. Yes. And to do your own research, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, man, if... Do you ever ask why? Like, ask why. Ask, you know, <laughs> ask, why are we here? What, what's going on? What's really happening? Yeah. Why are we doing this? Right. If I was looking outside... And there were dead bodies in the street and it looked like absolute mayhem. And I had multiple family members sick and I was seeing like really healthy, you know, young people dying just in mass numbers. I would say, wow, we've got a real fucking issue here, you know, but then, you know, you look at, so I wrote this thing because I, I, I did a post about questioning um, Fauci's rhetoric about not ever being able to shake hands again. And, you know, it's interesting to see the response. <laughs> and for the most part, it was positive. You know, and people really resonated with them. You know, and my, my post was less about, I, I could give a fuck if we ever shake hands again. I really don't. I'm a hugger myself. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I don't care. That's not the point. The point, the point is, and you'll appreciate this because this is something that Terrence McKenna talks about as well. And I think he's dead on in this is that language is really the process of our consciousness's evolution. 
and pushing the boundaries of our consciousness. Mm -hmm. It be begins with language. Mm -hmm. Well, it first begins with thought, and then it becomes language. And then language transcends, and you become a, what Terrence would call a meme spreader. Right. So you start to push this rhetoric that we shouldn't be touching each other anymore. Yeah. We shouldn't be coming. It's not safe any longer to be coming into contact with each other. Right. This is a problem because that sends ripples yeah. through the consciousness of humanity. And to guys like us who are awake, who understand, have a better understanding of what's happening and sort of the functionality of life from a, a bigger perspective than this, we can recognize it and say, that's, you know, that's, that's false. That's, uh, you know, that's sort of, that's fear spreading. Yeah. You know, this is a problem. It's a problem. This is a problem with the rhetoric. You know, and I've thought back to just my experience with great coaching. Great coaching never comes in the form of fear mongering. A great coach fills you with inspiration and energy and gives you the tools to be great on your own. They don't put you into a fear spiral, you know? And that's what we're looking at, man. And the rhetoric is just, you know, we're building ourselves into this corner where, you know, everyone wants to go, you're a conspiracy theorist. You know, why are you spreading misinformation? Dude, I'm not spreading misinformation. I'm looking at what's in front of me. Yeah. And I'm, sh and I'm drawing the line from one dot to the next. Yeah. So I'll take this. So conspiracy theories. <laughs> conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theory is a term invented by the CIA sometime after John F. Kennedy's assassination to discredit anyone, uh, you know, going against the mainstream rhetoric. Right. And this has been used. This has been, there's all this shit out there about it. So I'll use cannabis as a perfect example because in some, in some circles, although now because, and I think it works because now cannabis has been so accepted, but you could say that the, the, you know, putting cannabis into a schedule one is a conspiracy or there's a conspiracy behind that, or it's a conspiracy theory that, you know, they've demonized this plant for so long. Well, let's rewind, you know, let's take it back. First of all, cannabis is like a 10,000 plus year old medicine. That's just as far as we know of, you know, been used to treat everything from insomnia to impotence and everything in between. The fibers of the plant have over 25,000 industrial uses. At one time, it was the most valuable resource of the most powerful military operation in the world, the British Navy. Um, you know, the War of 1812 was fought because Napoleon cut off Great Britain's hemp supply from Russia. That was one of the reasons they went to war. Um, cannabis was a well-known, very widely used aspect of the American pharmacopoeia up until 1937. 
You could go to the local pharmacy. You could get cannabis tinctures, oils, etc., to treat all sorts of things. There were hashish parlors all over the place. This was Henry Ford was making car parts out of hemp fibers that were more durable, lighter, stronger than the steel that he had been pre previously using. So what happens? In 1937, you've got William Randolph Hearst, who owns a shitload of paper field, paper tree farms. He's got the, he's the largest publisher in the world, probably. And then you've got the DuPont family, steel and oil. And they come together with Harry Anslinger, who's the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, now known as the DEA. And they spin, they create the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act. And they basically make the production, cultivation, and sale of cannabis illegal. Now, is this a conspiracy? Or is this business? Hmm. This is fucking business for these yeah. guys. They didn't give a fuck. They didn't care. They cared up until the point when it started to infringe on their business interests, selling more paper, making more paper products, you know, and selling and, and building with steel, using steel as, as the, you know, used materials of the time. You know, and then you combine that with Harry Anslinger's racist ideology and his beliefs. And he's like, yeah, let's demonize the blacks and the Mexicans. You know, let's say that this is a danger to society. And then that gets carried over with Nixon. You know, and Nixon's two, uh, you know, biggest rivalry groups at the time were African-Americans and the hippies. So what did he do? He demonized both cultures. You know, went on a drug war against both. Raiding homes, imprisoning people, etc. So is this, is this a conspiracy or is this just business? It's business. Yeah. So then you start to look at our situation now and you see who's involved. Is it a conspiracy to say that Bill Gates has a business interest in spreading the use of vaccines? No. No. He's invested billions of dollars into it. Yeah. Fauci's been tied to the same shit for a long time as well. Yeah. They have business interests. But you go against that, and it's our modern day, this is our modern day Salem witch hunt. Yeah. You're a maniac. Right. You know, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, are you sure? Or are you just going on the blind faith because... You're too scared to think about the possibility that maybe the people telling you what you should and shouldn't be putting in your body don't really know anything. Right. And don't really care about whether or not you're safe. And don't care because you've been a number since day one. Right. Oof. You know, and so. That, that connection, Eben, is, is so great. And I had not really put those two together. I had not really made the connection between the demonization and criminalization of cannabis and the correlation between big pharma, Bill Gates, and 
the fact that they don't want to consider that hydrochloroquine works because they want to rush a unicorn vaccine to market that will somehow, that they're going to somehow force into the arm of every living being, every human being on planet earth with, with rushed testing, like to what end? And, and to make that connection with cannabis is so, it's so clear to me, you know, it's like, if you, when you start asking these questions and you start just like, what we're doing is we're just having a conversation around it. We're just, we're just talking, right. We're just talking about it. And as soon as that violates someone's sense of security, Mm -hmm. I'm going to eat Cheetos and sleep like shit. And I'm going to wait for a vaccine because a vaccine will save me. It's like, come on guys. What you're really saying is I trust I trust Bill Gates, the CDC, and the World Health Organization with my life. And yeah. if you try to say anything against that, you're nothing but a no-good science denier conspiracy theorist. Yeah. That's what people are saying. Smart people, people I know, people you know, friends of yours, family members. And, and to even have the conversation is such a taboo. And I, I... I want to be able to say to my grandkids that they didn't fool me, right? I want to be on the right side of history. Like I did podcasts. I did podcasts with Evan Britton. I did podcasts with Del Bigtree. I did podcasts with people that saw, saw through it and thought critically about what the fuck is going on. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I go through, you know, and I go through really dark periods now. Mm-hmm. I've had some days where, God, I just, I don't even know what to do, mm-hmm. you know? But then I'm, you know, I'm fueled with inspiration and energy because there's, you know, I'm not alone. We are not alone. You know, there's an army of people out there who believe in, the power of the human being. Yeah. And that's what this really comes down to. Right. You know? And everything I've done in my fucking whole life is about realizing my own personal fucking power. You know, God bless my parents, man. You eat right, you exercise, you drink plenty of water, you have some sort of connection with a higher power. And you know what? Shit kind of takes care of itself. Your body works. Yeah, your body works. You know, this body is a fucking miracle, man. Yeah. Like, it was built perfectly. Yeah. To withstand immense amounts of shit. Mm -hmm. Drama, viruses. You know, that's the other thing that's so mind-boggling to me is like, okay, so we're going to make this fucking vaccine, right? Well. I don't get it because there's going to be more viruses. There's going to be more bacteria. Like since the dawn of time, we have grown and evolved with bacteria and germs and viruses coexisted, lived alongside of. Right. And that's never like when, when did we just become so feeble and weak and helpless that, you know, we can't, survive without a vaccine what it's it's 
it's super disempowering and and it and it it's it's super disempowering to the to the humanity it's disempowering to the individual and what it does is it makes people scared and when people are scared and fearful what happens their immunity their immunity goes down when you're in a fight or flight state uh you're more susceptible to be sick from from just about anything you know like that i i think i think people are missing that a little bit too yeah. and and to not have faith that your body is is strong and capable um, you know, we were, we were really hoping I, I went and got tested for the antibodies uh, a week and a half ago, just went down to a lab corp and they did the, you know, the pinprick test. Yeah. Cause I, I, there was like two days where I had the chills. It was, I'm in Seattle, so it's still cold, had the chills and like uh, had some body aches for like two days and I, it was mm-hmm. a little strange. So I went and got tested and I was really, really hoping that I had it. I was really, really, really hoping because I was kissing my kids and sharing drinks and cuddling and, uh, you know, like yeah. I was really hoping that I had had it so that I could build a lifelong immunity because there's going to be a COVID 20 and a 21 and a 22 yeah. and, and the flu shots don't fucking work and yeah. they make you more susceptible to a negative response from, from the actual virus. Yeah. Forget and, about trying to share that too people just like don't buy it right right i get sent links of you know the the bobby kennedy article written by his family members saying we love him but he's our uncle but here's why he's wrong it's like dude the guy's sharing the same science he's sharing science what do you want are you blind like what are we looking at yeah i feel like i'm back in the cannabis thing you know because when I came into the cannabis advocacy, everyone's like, oh, you just want to be a stoner and smoke weed. It's like, no, I'm looking at science here. Yeah. I'm looking at, you know, thousands of years of anecdotal evidence, you know, people describing how this shit benefits. And then there's scientific studies now. Our government has them, you know. And I just, you know, it, it's what it is is it's all dogmatic you know? yeah the science people want to shout that the religious people are the dogmatic nuts yeah but science is as much of a dogma as the, as religion totally true it's all dogma right you know this really the theory it's a theory of how viruses work <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Yes. I, I, yes, you're right. These are yeah. theories. This is Coke's postulate and Louis Pasteur plagiarizing the other guy. I'm sorry, guys. Look, that's what it is. It's yeah. still theories. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's all just theories on how the world around us functions mm-hmm. because you can't see what's happening. Okay, great. You, you know, you isolate uh, a million COVID particles in a room, in a vacuum, and you see what it does. Wow, big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. Put a human, you can't, if, even if you put a human being in there, you couldn't watch what happened. Right. You can't. Mm-hmm. So all this shit about what our experts are saying, which I'd love to know who the experts are anyway, is it Fauci and Bill Gates? 
So those are experts. Those guys have business interests. Again, I don't think you can be an expert on a situation and have a business interest tied to the situation. Yes. Yeah. And meanwhile, we're not getting, we're not the, the CDC, the world health organization isn't, isn't promoting uh, healthy immune boosting protocols, um, natural uh, health protocols for boosting your immune system. Like that's, it's still not talked about. And some of my friends in, you know, the natural health world, like Dr. Ben Lynch and Mike Mutzel, um, they're like, well, what? Okay. Okay. So not, not only is this getting out of hand, but also like, we're not actually talking about what people can do to boost, naturally boost their immunity, like get vitamin D, like being outside when we're not supposed to be being outside, you know, like vitamin C, like vitamin A. I don't know if Don't eat processed shit. Right, exactly. No. no. Try going for a walk. Try taking some deep breaths. Like, yeah. Yeah. None of yeah. that. None of that is acceptable. Well, us, us even having this conversation and reaching the audience that, that, that I have, and, you know, I, I, I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep bringing it up because unless, unless, folks like me and you and some of the even louder proponents or, you know, uh, critics um, with even louder megaphones and, and even more, you know, political prowess. Like we, we just have to keep talking about it. We have to be clear. We have to be able to, to think critically and, and really focus on our own personal empowerment because if we don't, then we will have missed an opportunity to try to make a difference. So yeah, why I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate yeah, this it's conversation. Um, you know, just, I don't know, one more thing. I had it. You know, it's just about taking ownership of your life. You know, how, how deep in that are you willing to go? You know, because we've been convinced. What's so funny to me is that you know, we've been convinced that, you know, life is so fragile and death is so taboo. And yet no one's living for shit. You're living to fucking buy and consume shit. And you're living someone else's dream. Like, cut that shit out, man. You know, when are you going to take ownership of your own life? You know, rather than just blind faith, say, yeah, I never understood this. You know, God bless doctors. I've had some incredible surgeons. I've had some great doctors in my life, you know. Um, but to be honest, the, the fundamental part of medicine should be, you know your body better than anyone else does. You're the one fucking living in it, you know. It's only when you've just become so disillusioned with the experience of being a human that you forget about paying attention to what you're doing. Yeah. I eat this. How do I feel? Do I feel good or do I feel like shit? Right. You know, most people can't even get there. Right. You know, you're just like guzzling sodas and eating fast food and you're going, man, I'm a diabetic. I'm obese. I feel like shit. I guess I need a pill or something. Right. 
no, you need to stop eating the shit, you know, because it matters. Like everything matters. Yeah. You know, so I want to ask, cause I, I do, I, I do like to close this has been uh, this has been a really great conversation. I wish we had a few more hours because you know uh, yeah. we'll, well, we'll come back. Man. We'll do part, part two. Yeah. Um, uh, anything uh, before I ask the last question, which is a fill in the blank question, um, is there anything that you would like to 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 speak out if people want to get in contact with you or follow you or or any sort of group that you want to advocate for? Um, please please share. Yeah. Um... Follow me on Instagram at E-D-S Britain. That's my main platform. I do a little bit on Twitter, but that's for the most part. And also, EvanBritton.com, you can find, uh, I do a lot of writing and a lot of musings on these various topics. So um, head there, check that out, subscribe. And, uh, you know, other than that, check out my organization, Athletes for Care which is a cannabis advocacy group for athletes of all ages, um, you know, to come in and get education, resources, have access to resources, and uh, come into an incredible community of people who believe in the power of natural healing and community. Beautiful. Okay, so if you would, uh, fill in the blank and elaborate as much as you'd like i know this catch people's off the fuck okay what up it's funny with like doctors and authors like yes yeah, gonna catch you off guard fill in the blank and they're just like oh no gotta break script uh feel free to elaborate as much as you'd like but please based on everything that you know um fill in the blank everyone would benefit from knowing themselves Beautiful. I think I'll leave it at that. Perfect. Perfect. Evan Britton, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks, Sean. Awesome. That was great. Dude, you're the man. Ladies and gentlemen, Evan Britton, I hope that that was illuminating for you. I hope that uh, it opened up your mind, opened up your coconut to consider something that goes a little bit against the grain. And this podcast is absolutely dedicated to opening you up to new ways of thinking, to new technologies, to new frameworks. And that is the goal every single solitary week. And I really appreciate you continuing to listen. I've promised you a website for a while. It's coming, it's coming. And I'm going to have some cool add-ons, some really great tools that will be free to you. And will give you an incentive to go check out optimalperformancepodcast.com, which is a really long URL. I know that. <laughs> I know that, uh, but I'm working on it. Uh, I also wanted to mention that this podcast episode is brought to you by Natural Stacks. You've heard it a thousand times, and there's good reason for it. Uh, I was having a conversation with one of my coaching clients the other day. She said, hey, I need some insights on, on vitamins. And I said, you know, there's really kind of three vitamins that I think everybody should take. One is magnesium for relaxation, for uh, your mitochondria and to help you relax and go to sleep at night. Uh, also, krill oil, fish oil, DHA is really critical for brain health. And the third, uh, especially with people being stuck inside, is vitamin D. 
And uh, so those three products are made at the highest level of quality at Natural Stacks. You can go to naturalstacks.com and you can stock up and use the code OPP15 for 15% off. These are sort of essential daily things that I take and uh, now my clients take, and I think you should take them too because we got to protect ourselves and increase our immunity. If you're still listening at this point, I thank you. I am appreciative of you. I love you, and I really hope to connect with more of you one-on-one. I'd love to get emails from you. You can email me at Sean, S-E-A-N, at SeanMcCormick.com, soon to be uh, with the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm going to have you join a sweet newsletter that's going to give you awesome tips, sort of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff that I think you're going to really love. And also follow me on Instagram at RealSeanMcCormick and Optimal Performance Podcast. And also, I'm going to say it again, if you need a tool to deal with your crazy mind, if you're freaking out and anxious or stressed or depressed, you have access to an amazing tool that's called the Stop Method. Go to stopmethod.com, learn the free tool, and if you'd like to take it a little bit further and sign up for a free coaching strategy session with me, it's 30 minutes long, it's going to be worth your time. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Uh, It's free. Why wouldn't you try it? Thanks, everybody, for listening, and I will see you on the internet.